Welcome to the AccuSprout Podcast, where it's my mission to help new practitioners of Chinese medicine navigate from school to career. I'm Stacy. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, podcaster, coach, and creator of Magical Networks. Be sure to check out all four pillars of the podcast where I cover case studies to sharpen your clinical skills, mindset Mondays to support your mental health, new practitioner interviews to prove that you are not alone, and all things business from launching your practice to negotiating your pay if you choose to be an employee. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. So if you would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out the sponsors page on the website to claim your special AccuSprout offers. When I first started my practice, I was actually kind of a disaster when it came to my books. I hired an accountant who actually laundered money from another client. So I went on a quest to find a bookkeeper who really tailors to and loves working with acupuncturists. And I found Sarah at Horizon West Bookkeeping, and I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Sarah offers acupuncturists and the AccuSprout community a couple different packages so that she can meet you where you are. If you're new to practice, she can come in and do what's called a QuickBooks startup package for you, where you get pretty deep discounts on QuickBooks for about four months. She sets up your chart of accounts, assists with linking your bank accounts, makes sure that all the transactions are imported, and then teaches you how to use it with two hours of one-on-one training. It's a killer deal. She also offers cleanup packages and catch-up packages. Not catch-up packages, guys. Catch-up packages. And a monthly package, which is what I use. And I find it quite affordable and so, so, so worth it because, honestly, I never, since the beginning, have been able to keep up with my bookkeeping. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation with Sarah to make sure that you guys are the right fit for each other. And you can do that at horizonwestbookkeeping.com forward slash AccuSprout or look for the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software with helpful features to power your acupuncture practice. Jane offers flexible scheduling options that match the way you work. You have the option of offering one-on-one online sessions for initial consults, meeting in person, and scheduling staggered appointments to accommodate treating patients across different treatment rooms. Jane has you covered. Keep the relaxation going with a seamless checkout experience using Jane's PCI-compliant payment solution, Jane Payments. You can collect patient credit cards securely through your intake form or at the time of booking with an online booking payment policy. This can also help reduce no-shows in your practice. It's a win-win. And Jane's unlimited SMS and email reminders can be sent automatically before each appointment as an extra layer of no-show protection. To learn more about how Jane's helpful features can help you power your acupuncture practice, head to jane.app to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their team. Or if you're ready to get started, head on over to accusprout.com forward slash Jane. And remember to use the code accusprout1mo at the time of sign up to get a one-month grace period applied to your new account. So that idea of kind of formula presentation and of being able to match herbs and formulas directly to observable signs and symptoms, and then do the work of confirming or denying. I found that immensely useful clinically in my own practice, and I tried to introduce that to my students alongside the more textbook approach of uh, signs and symptoms leading to diagnosis, leading to treatment strategies, leading to formulas. Welcome to the AccuSprout Podcast, where it's my mission to create a supportive community for new practitioners of Chinese medicine, while I give you the information and inspiration to help you grow towards your vision of success in your first couple years of practice. This is Stacey Whitcomb, and I am your host. Hey, AccuSprouts, welcome back to the show. We're going in a different direction today with this podcast. I thought I would try something new, and I've really wanted to do this for a while because when I left school, what I missed so much was actually case reviews. It's almost like it's our staple when we're in school and then we leave and 
it's it's an itch that doesn't get scratched anymore. It's a puzzle that we don't get to play with anymore. I always like having somebody read me or tell me about a case and giving me the opportunity to kind of unravel things in my head and think about like what questions would I ask and what am I looking for next and am I on target? And I absolutely kind of miss our herbal case reviews or any of our case reviews, actually. So... I've been poking around trying to engage some herbal instructors or schools to see if they want to sponsor a series. And so today, as just a fun trial run, I'm bringing on Phil Settles of ACCHS, which is the Academy of Chinese Culture and Health Sciences located in Oakland. Phil is the director of the DAOM program there, and he also designed it. Now, this episode is a pandemic episode, and it has been my toughest episode so far. So picture this. Phil is trying to engage in this podcast, and I'm talking to him, and I'm interviewing him, and it's your standard pandemic thing. And it hasn't happened to me yet with recording my podcast. I can hear behind his door his cute little minions. And I think if I'm correct, he's got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And they are freaking having a blast behind the door behind him. And so part of this podcast is recorded with me trying to stay on task and listen to him because honestly, we're winging this. I, I don't know if he's actually going to ask me questions and put me on the spot on my own podcast, which I, I'm game for, but horrified nonetheless. And so I don't know if that's coming. <laughs> I hear his kids and I'm thinking, I've had this conversation with Michael Max. Like, at what point do we pull the plug on the podcast? Because unfortunately... People won't listen if it's not easy listening. And so I'm thinking, gosh, how, how am I going to do this? Am I going to be able to edit them out? And he's a trooper. He's just keep, keep going, whatever. He's a dad. Well, I'll just keep talking. And then we keep having like extreme technical difficulties with my platform where there's a gap in time somehow between what he's saying and then I want to ask him a question, but he doesn't hear me for like three seconds. So he keeps talking. And so I'm trying to get him to stop. Oh, it was my, it was my worst recording session yet, but I think I did some magic. I think I edited the heck out of it and it is pretty darn good. And kudos and much gratitude to uh, Phil, who said if we had to record it again, we totally could. Enjoy this podcast for everything that happened and was just kind of really not one of my finer days. I so appreciate Phil for hanging in there and kind of trudging through it. And I think if we do it again, it's going to just be amazing and easy and fun and funny and much better. So anyway, Enjoy this podcast. It is a case study that Phil presents from a different angle. Phil is trained in multiple ways to prescribe herbs by multiple different teachers. And he is bringing that to the table. And I didn't even realize until I was editing and then I could see it. So this is also a podcast that you may want to listen to a couple of times. So if you're new, that may happen to you too, because he's teaching in a way that we're not trained. But I'm completely intrigued and really looking forward to future podcasts with him. So welcome to what I thought was going to be my very first horrifying train wreck of a podcast. Welcome to the show, Phil Settles. Thank you so much, Stacey. It's really a pleasure to be here with you. I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing that you're doing with the AccuSprout show. I think it really fills a niche that a lot of us within our community need uh, in terms of the podcast world and, and what resources it offers. And I think this is a great direction that you're taking here. Thank you. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your position at ACCHS and a little bit about your background? I'd be happy to. So I, I was initially a student at ACCHS. I started in 2008 and went through 2011. That's where I graduated. And then I took the state boards and got licensed in the state of California. 
And while I was still a student, I started to take a lot of continuing education classes. And Arnover Sluis, Dr. Arnover Sluis at that time was coming to the Bay Area. And I had the opportunity. <laughs> I hear you laughing a little bit. No, in my head, I'm like, I barely made it through school without adding oh. something like <laughs> first the Versluis program to it. No, it's just keep going. You're doing great. Got it. Got it. All right. So I started to study with Dr. Arnover Sluis while still in school. And I did his Shanghan Lun and his Jingwei Yare program and had the chance to uh, to do a few clinical days with him in in the Oakland, San Francisco Bay Area. And it really set me off on a path very early on where I was very much interested in the Shang Han Lun and the Han Dynasty classics. And uh, he opened my eyes to the fact that this was a facet of the medicine that is, in a sense, bottomless. You could really continue to pursue it and go deeper. Uh, there's no lack of resources to really to take your learning to the next level continually. So it's not something that you... You study, you get, and then you can just move on to the next topic because you've exhausted it. And I, I had the chance with Arnaud to deepen my studies and then with Dr. Huang in Nanjing. And he came to Oakland a few times, and I've been to Nanjing a few times to study with him. Dr. Suzanne Robidou, who's transmitting from the Feng Shui Lun, Hu Shi Shu, Shanghan Lun lineage. So we just have access to these wonderful teachers uh, who teach classical Chinese herbalism. And as that was my passion very early on, I was given the opportunity at ACCHS to develop a doctorate program to help kind of design the curriculum. And the things that I was very interested in were the things I was able to try to pull together to create a, a cohesive set of coursework to spend two to four years in the DAOM program. So we have a big emphasis on Shang Han Lun herbalism and on Han Dynasty classics, as well as having the second emphasis on kind of orthopedics and anatomically oriented acupuncture techniques for optimal pain treatment and management. So that's been my background at ACCHS and the inspirations that helped me put together that kind of program. And for the listeners out there, the DAO, sorry, DAOM program that they provide, it's my favorite. I considered doing it straight out of school, but it just wasn't the right time, but I still, I Jones just to go back and do this program or go forward and do this program. I love what you guys have put together. So kudos for that. It's super exciting. I appreciate that very much. It's been very validating having the students come through the program. I kind of echo that same sentiment and hear from other people from all over the country who are really interested in it, whether or not it turns out to be the right time for them to make it work. The fact that that interest is there is super validating. Let's talk about the DAOM program briefly. I love, so it's a orthopedic acupuncture focus with a Chinese herbalism focus as well, yes? That's right. That's right. And in my mind as a clinician, because that's where I'm coming from in terms of trying to decide how to put together that program, it's what's what's really useful in clinic, as well as honoring the tradition of Chinese medicine and setting students up to be very successful in, in how they can treat patients. And a big part of what we treat as acupuncturists, licensed acupuncturists, is pain. We have a lot of patients mm -hmm. who are in pain, and there are different systems that we have at our disposal to treat pain conditions. And I wanted to draw from a lot of the different styles and systems that are available to give our students the most kind of versatility and options when they're in clinic. In my own experience being a patient, some of the, the people who've had the most success in treating me for musculoskeletal injuries have been using a highly anatomical focus of thinking about muscles, tendons, ligaments, joints, using orthopedic or functional assessment techniques and using, you know, we could call it Asher in terms of local needling, but doing so with a very high degree of specificity and precision and finding out where the problems lie and treating those tissues directly. And then there's a lot of value in using distal techniques like dong acupuncture, etc. So we draw from multiple systems like that to put them together in the same program. We have Dr. Henry McCann teaching dong acupuncture. We have Anthony Vondermule teaching close to 200 hours of a very, very comprehensive orthopedic acupuncture approach, which he, he calls IAPM, Integrative Acupuncture Physical Medicine. And it includes acupuncture, but also cupping, gua sha, manual therapy. And because it's the same teacher taking us through a full 150 to 200 hour sequence, 
It's very methodical, comprehensive, cohesive. So that's been a, a huge boon to all the students who've come through the program. I just still get super excited about it. <laughs> Someday I'll be there. Okay, let's talk about this case review. So I think you're just going to lead us into it, and we're just going to kind of work our way through what a case study by Phil Settles looks like. Sure thing. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. I do teach within the clinic at ACCHS, both in the MSTCM and the DAOM programs. And in this last year, a lot of our clinical activity has been online. So it's a similar format to what we're doing right now. In some of those shifts, we have physical patients call in, and then we see them via Zoom in a, in a teleconferencing mode. And in other shifts, we do kind of case review, case analysis. And so that's what we'll be doing right now. And I'll, I'll introduce a patient that I saw recently via telemedicine and talk through kind of the clinical process and the clinical reasoning and try to make that as transparent as possible. So this patient had joined us, she's female, 41 years old, and her profession was that she is a teacher for toddlers, which she finds very gratifying, but also demanding and very stressful for her. And what we could see right away in terms of the, you know, the appearance in chat was that this was a person who was a little bit obese with a large upper body big neck, big shoulders, big chest, um, big belly, and oily skin on her face. So even just knowing age and appearance and kind of that morphology, our patient's kind of shape and characteristics, physical characteristics, I had started to have a hunch about where things could go diagnostically and what formulas might be relevant. So the hunch arises right away with observation, initial observation, and then the the patient introduced her chief complaints, which were PCOS, which she had had diagnosed 20 years prior, and hypothyroidism, which had been diagnosed six years prior. And the way that these manifested for her, primarily the, the PCOS, she had hirsutism. She would miss periods occasionally, and she had significant pain and cramping and some clotting with her periods. Her periods would also last up to eight days, with a couple of days being very heavy and the rest of the days being much lighter. Her hypothyroidism, she would experience very low energy for these last six years, had to really kind of force herself and trudge through her workday, would feed off the, the toddlers a little bit in terms of getting uh, energized through her work, and then at the end would just kind of crash, would really be exhausted. And that was her, you know, five days a week, her experience of just being exhausted. She had had a, a miscarriage two years prior, largely because of the PCOS complicating pregnancy. And that miscarriage led to significant depression and significant weight gain. And she was using food largely for kind of comfort and relieving that, that depression and the stress in her life. So she gained a lot of weight in the last two years, and that worsened some of the symptoms that she would experience. So the first question I asked her, and it was guided by my initial hunch, which was based, again, just on her kind of appearance and her physical characteristics, I wanted to know about her appetite and her digestion. So she revealed that she feels best when she eats smaller meals more frequently. And if she doesn't eat for too long, if she goes four or five hours without eating, she'd get kind of jittery and dizzy and physically uncomfortable. But conversely, if she eats too much in a single sitting, she'll always get bloating, feel as though her digestion is kind of sluggish and there's indigestion. The food just sits there in her upper abdomen. Fatty or rich foods will typically cause upper right quadrant pain for her. And if she eats too late in the evening, then she'll have insomnia with tossing and turning and probably have to get up to vomit in order to go back to sleep. Yeah, so quite severe symptoms related to digestion, certainly not, not comfortable after eating as you know a typical experience for her. It's very easy for her to be uncomfortable with and around food and digestion. Acid regurgitation all the time has prescription uh, medicine to to treat that. And that's especially helpful for her to sleep because the acid regurgitation would keep her up. Okay. Frequent belching, frequent nausea, especially in the mornings. And that sometimes leads her to, to kind of skip breakfast or to eat, you know, small and very poor type breakfast. And very easy again for her if she eats a little bit too late to have that experience of, of acid at night and, and indigestion and having to get up to vomit. So with that type of digestion, my hunch now is, is validated. I'm about 80% sure that a certain formula is going to be uh, useful for her and this is going to be what I'm going to end up on. 
which I just think is funny because I'm like, I, I cool. I'm glad you know. (laughs) Yeah. So I think there are certain styles of herbalism that lead to that idea of having a strong sense right away. And what you start to ask are the questions that are going to validate or invalidate the hunch, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, so leading with appetite and digestion for me, wasn't, wasn't uh, a mistake. It wasn't a coincidence. I specifically wanted to see if there were certain types of tendencies and there were. So the Mm -hmm. hunch so far is being validated. And that leads me to my next question. I wanted to know about this patient's bowel movements. Mm -hmm. And she typically would have one to two per day, but occasionally could miss days and go a day without a bowel movement. And her bowels are typically difficult, dry. She started to drink more water to try to address that, but still the tendency is there for dry, difficult bowel movements. And she's very like aware of her elimination she thinks about it a lot because it's uncomfortable and sometimes incomplete and difficult. And she occasionally has flare-ups of, of hemorrhoids. So okay. knowing her elimination combined with her appetite, combined with her morphology, I'm, I'm 95% sure at this point for a particular formula and diagnosis. Are you going to give a hint? I think I'm going to work through the questions that I asked, yeah, and then kind of explain why those questions followed in that sequence. So hopefully some of the listeners are able to think in their own minds, what are the pieces that they're putting together? How does this look like? What does their diagnosis start to come together? Now I wanted to know about temperature. And so asking the patient about aversions and tendencies so that she tends to run hot. She's sensitive to heat. She always wants the the air conditioning on and she drinks water with ice in it. But then asking about extremities, she revealed that she sometimes has cold feet. So this strong tendency to heat wanting to be cooler, definitely being okay with with wind and cold, sensitive to heat, but tendency to cold feet at the same time. And this for me was the the clincher. I was very, very confident. I'm going to give it 100% confidence with what I was going to go with as a primary formula. And having the teachers that I've had and knowing kind of tendencies with how they've combined formulas, Dr. and Hushi Shu made a certain particular formula combination pretty famous. I then wanted to check out one more thing or one more formula. So ask questions that would validate or invalidate the hunch for a secondary formula. And I asked her about dry skin because I could see oily skin on her face. There's a little bit of a, you know, a sheen and, and probably a tendency to, to acne on her face. But I asked about dry skin, particularly on her legs. And she confirmed that there was dry skin on her legs and her feet. And that I then asked about visible veins on her legs. And she said, yes. So that right away puts me in a very confident position to do this formula combination. That's, that's a common clinical manifestation. And I asked about body pain, and she did have a tendency towards joint pain, low back, knees, and would get muscle cramps at nighttime in her, her calves and her feet, uh, and tightness in her Achilles tendon upon waking. So now I'm about 100% sure for the secondary formula as well. So this whole thing, you know, these questions, I would say, took three to five minutes from the point where we started the intake. And we asked more questions. We got a little bit more. But for me, this was really the stuff that clinched the initial hunch. And then a few of the rest of the questions were kind of, I want to say, the cherry on top, like just further evidence to to increase confidence in the initial initial formula that would be given. So some of those cherry on top questions, I asked if, if the patient would get a bitter taste in her mouth. And she said that she occasionally would, but even added that she likes bitter foods. So she likes the bitter flavor. And that to me is important. Sometimes if a patient enjoys a certain taste, it's a good hint for us that that's the type of taste they need in their herbs. That's the type of taste that's going to be therapeutic for them. And I wanted to explore a category of symptoms called chi rushing upwards. Is that a kind of a quality or a term you're familiar with, Stacey? Are you talking about running piglet or are you talking about upward chi? That's acid reflux. Yeah, exactly. We could have like, we could have like stomach chi counterflow would be a certain upward chi. Mm -hmm. So acid reflux, belching, nausea, vomiting is a type of upward chi. And then related to kind of that running piglet idea, there's a lot of other symptoms that are involved with this upward rushing. And in the, in the Shenong Bensao Jing for Guajir, I believe the very first thing it says about Guajir is talking about how it governs upward rushing and treats upward rushing. So it's not about releasing the exterior. It's not about the sweat, et cetera, in particular. But there's this quality that we 
you sometimes we use that term running piglet or bentun to, to categorize a whole category of things. So I asked about those and the patient revealed that they can get palpitations, dizziness, there's difficulty sleeping with a lot of thinking at night, there's anxiety. And she even said that it's her mind is like beyond overthinking, it's OCD. So all of those symptoms, the dizziness, the palpitations, definitely tendency towards overthinking. And a lot of that shows this general surging upwards of energy in the body where the mind is too busy, the the heart is affected, the head is affected with the palpitations and the dizziness. So there's a strong upward surging of chi within her body. Right. And all of that just further confirmed, in a sense, the initial hunch and showed that it would be a good idea to use the herbs that we had in mind. And now I think we can talk about what those herbs were and, and why they fit this pattern. Let's go back real quick. Can you tell the listeners what the chief complaint was? So the chief complaint for this patient was PCOS and hypothyroidism. The symptoms from PCOS and hypothyroidism. Yeah. So the symptoms there would be, you know, those were kind of, I guess, the diseases she reported, but they don't really inform so much the diagnosis and the treatment from our perspective. Yeah. I remember you said that in the beginning, PCOS, but I was curious if it was like insomnia or stress or, but mostly just the PCOS coming from that, that angle. And then the symptoms associated with that. Correct. Yeah. So her PCOS for her was really experienced as painful periods, occasional missed periods, clotting in the periods. And her her hypothyroidism was this fatigue bordering on exhaustion, where it's difficult to get through the day and she'd really crash at the end of it. For me, what was really illuminating was more her, her body type, her morphology, and then finding out her about her appetite, digestion, elimination, and that's what made the diagnosis very clear to me rather than her actual chief complaints. Okay. Where do you want to go next? Yeah. So now I'll, I'll reveal in a sense my answer and then go back and, and explain why the answer makes sense within the context of this patient. So what, what we went with was a combination of Da Chai Hutong plus Guajir Fooling One. So Da Chai Hutong and Guajir Fooling One. And each of those formulas has their own formula presentation. You know, the characteristics in terms of signs and symptoms that would tell us that there's evidence to prescribe a particular formula. And then the formulas are combined quite often because there are a lot of patients who present with the type of signs and symptoms that indicate both together. And there was actually, I think, one of my colleagues who studied with Dr. Huang Huang in China uh, has just published an article specifically about that combination of formulas, Da Chai Hutong and Guajir Fooling One, in the Journal of Chinese Medicine. So listeners will have listeners will have a great resource to go a little bit deeper into reading like a really fleshed out summary of someone's PhD uh, thesis, really talking about this particular combination of formulas. Do you have a link for that that we can put in the show notes? I will find one. I will find one. I'll send that to you. And yeah, you can put it in the notes for for readers to go and, and look. If they've got a subscription to Journal of Chinese Medicine, uh, then they'll have access right away. And if not, it might be a good uh, inspiration for them to get that subscription or to go through uh, an educational institution if, if their school has one. So for me, I would say Da Chai Wutang Guajir Fooling One is like, it's these are, Guajir Fooling One is a daily formula. I, I'd say v- rarely will a clinic day go by when I don't prescribe that formula. And Da Chai Wutang definitely is a weekly formula. I prescribe it quite frequently. We'll always have a number of patients who are on it. So these are formulas I'm really quite familiar with. And when we get so familiar with a formula, they're, they're like a friend. We recognize them in a the crowd. So we'll recognize the patient who needs that type of formula or formula combination really quite quickly, which is where when I was describing the patient's build and their facial complexion, et cetera, then already that hunch can kind of emerge. Uh, so when Dr. Huang talks about Da Chai Hutong and the formula presentation, the, the set of signs and symptoms that are criteria for prescribing that formula, he'll start by describing what the person looks like. And the person typically will be kind of middle-aged and older, won't be a very, very young person, will be more robust in body type. They're not going to be thin. They're not going to look undernourished. They're going to have more flesh on them. Tendency towards obesity and in particular, the obesity in a Da Chai Hutong pattern is like an upside down triangle. The weight is largely carried in the upper body. So this isn't someone whose weight is all kind of falling with gravity 
towards the lowest place. It's not like a droopy adipose tissue. It's largely adipose mm-hmm. tissue that stays you know, upward against gravity and that can even be firm to the touch. So this, this patient's big head, big face, big neck, big shoulders, big chest, big belly, but not necessarily like really big legs and not necessarily really big arms and forearms and elbows, et cetera. It's like their, their arms and legs might even have a little bit of muscular definition, even as they carry a lot of adipose tissue in their torso. And then the greasy skin too, the dry and greasy skin. Yeah. So we had that, that oily skin on the face and the dry skin we found out later in the feet. So there's a difference in the what's going on in the upper body and what's going on in the lower body. And that's important both for the Chaihu pattern potentially and also for the Guaja Fooling One pattern. And so this patient's build was definitely robust, definitely showed excess, and it seems like kind of excess heat uh, and potentially damp heat and pronounced in the upper with maybe deficiency in the lower. The the Da Chaihu Tong patient tends to have certain types of conditions. They're largely diagnosable conditions. So if they have blood tests or imaging, et cetera then the da tai hutong person can large, can often have hypertension, high cholesterol, uh, a lot of adipose tissue. They can have inflammation like gallbladder inflammation or liver inflammation or stomach inflammation. So a lot of the terms that end with itis, cholecystitis and hepatitis, gastritis, etc. They have a large tendency towards uncomfortable feeling in their upper abdomen. So we can t- talk about hypochondriac distension that we largely relate to chaihu but also epigastric distension that shows kind of a stomach and, and yang ming component. So this combination of Xiaoyang and yang ming mm-hmm. uh, largely defines a da chai hutong presentation, the Xiaoyang, yang ming, and a bigger body type. But this is heat above, cold below. There's definitely an, an element of heat above, cold below. Yeah. So heat above, cold below uh, shows that there's this temperature variation and temperature variation can be Alternating chills and fever, which we see really um, literally in the line for Xiao Chai Hutong, for example. So in Xiaoyang or a half-half pattern, we can have temperature that kind of comes and goes, alternating chills and fever, or there could be temperature that's represented differently in different parts of the body. There could be heat above, cold below, or hot torso, cold extremities. All of that could indicate the the temperature variations in a Xiaoyang type pattern. The Guajir Fooling one can also share a little bit of a tendency towards kind of heat above, cold below, or just poor circulation in the feet, which is the furthest place away from the heart. So Guajir Fooling one in treating blood stasis, there's going to be a tendency for cardiovascular circulation to suffer because of that blood stasis. So we can see cold feet, dry skin on the legs and lower extremities, and then the varicose veins in the legs, the visible veins. And all of that was, for me, what clinched the, the Guajir Fooling one. So can you talk about that a little bit? I don't know what else I'm looking for there, but that wouldn't have clicked for me. The veins in the legs, mm-hmm. just showing more stasis. Is that it? Like blood stasis? Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the, veins, the veins in the legs show the blood stasis. The dry skin could be because of, we can say, yin deficiency or blood deficiency or some kind of stagnation could all lead to dry skin. It could be damp stagnation. It could be blood stasis. So within the context of the visible veins, then I think the dry skin on the legs was really speaking in this patient's case to, to blood stasis. And the fact that they also had cramping in their calves and their feet really mm-hmm. showed one particular herb comes to mind, and that's Bai Shao. So Da Chai Hutong does have Bai Shao because it has this digestive component with Da Huang, Jershur, Bai Shao. But the Guajir Fooling one also has the Bai Shao. So Bai Shao being kind of emphasized for this pattern of muscular cramping was really important for this patient. Guajir Fooling one also has a Guajir Fooling combination. And the Guajir Fooling combination are really important because they are kind of a typical herb combination to address that upsurge of qi. So in the Shenong Ben Sa Jing, when it st- starts the entry to talk about Guajir and it talks about governing upsurge of qi, we see this in Guajir Fu Ling Wan, Wu Ling San, Ling Gui Zhu Gan Tang, Ling Gui Zhao Gan Tang, Gui Ling Wu Wei Gan Zhao Tang. There's a lot of different formulas that combine Guajir and Fu Ling together, and they, they all treat a tendency 
or upward rushing chi, which can have things like palpitations, um, shortness of breath, dizziness, uh, insomnia, anxiety, busy mind, etc. Can you um, can you talk about how they work together to do that? Absolutely. So guajer is largely a heart tonifying herb. So we have guajer gansao tong is the smallest formula that I know of that has guajer. It's two herbs. It's just guajer and gansao. And the line for guajer gansao tong talks about someone who has lost too much fluid through sweating. And now they present with an uncomfortable feeling in their chest and pulsations under their heart and their arms crossed over their over their heart mm-hmm. because their uncomfortable feeling wants pressure. And that line in the Shang Han Lun introduces to us that through sweating, not only do we lose yin in the form of fluid, but we can lose yang as well. The heart yang is damaged by sweating and Guajer is going to strengthen the heart yang to restore the strength and the ability to have a proper stroke volume. So every heartbeat can circulate blood appropriately and the heart doesn't have to strive so much where we get an uncomfortable sensation. So strengthening the emperor is largely the the role of guajer in any formula where guajer is there. So palpitations, pulsations, all this upward rushing, it's like the emperor is weak and there's a revolt, a revolution where people are storming the palace. And that's the sensation of discomfort in the chest, palpitations, shortness of breath, dizziness. So Guajer and Fuling serve to strengthen the emperor with Guajer and then down bear the upward rushing Yin Chi with Fuling. Can you talk about the Fuling for a minute? So Fuling is going to be uh, bland flavor and kind of descending. So we can think about you know, what are the things that can surge upwards? Heat can surge upwards. Cold can surge upwards. Dampness can surge upwards, etc. So in particular, if there's any kind of damp component to an upward rushing pattern, then fooling is what's going to be uh, percolating and, and descending, disinhibiting flow. And in, in helping with urination, that dampness can move downwards again instead of rushing upwards. Thank you. I understand that obviously both of these formulas are perfect for this condition, but I'm getting caught up a little bit in how Guajer and Fuling can actually descend. Yeah, and it's not, it's not necessarily obvious to us in the way that we initially learn herbs and formulas and diagnosis, et cetera. Yeah, because my mind's automatically going for the bond shot. Like, let's descend and mm-hmm. you know choose choose herbs that are descending which obviously the dachai hutong has elements of that right yeah yeah that chai hutong is going to have like a digestive descending component with da bai shao will kind of like relax muscular tension and sometimes help things descend and it, there is in dachai hutong this strong tendency towards that upper abdominal discomfort fullness pressure congestion it's like there's not enough room in the person's upper and middle jiao. So things are so stuffy around the rib sides and the epigastrium. So even though someone has a big body type, and we might look at them and say, oh, that person has a big appetite, they probably eat a lot. But they eat small meals more frequently. Because if they eat too much, there's just no room for that food. And they feel more stuffy, more full, more uncomfortable. And this patient was a great example of that, where you know, she would get bloated. She'd feel like the food is just staying there. And then even at night, if she ate a little bit too late, she'd have to get up and vomit in order to relieve that pressure. So miserable. <laughs> didn't sound like a lot of fun. Yeah. And then have to get up and deal with toddlers in the morning. No. <laughs> yeah. So it's just this beautiful formula for like making those types of patients a lot more comfortable in their, in their rib sides, their chest, their stomach area. It, it loosens that congestion. It provides room. Things can descend easier. And all that kind of traffic congestion that's going on there starts to get relieved. Right. And so when you prescribe this, you're combining the two of them. Do you go heavier with the dachai hutong in the beginning to get everything moving and thereby some of the other symptoms will be resolved? Or how, how would you combine these two? There are really different ways to do formula combination. And I think the ideal way is to consider if you were giving this formula in raw dosage, what would the dose of each individual herb be? And I sometimes fall short of that ideal because for me, just the nature of being in clinic and seeing patients at likely two, two patients per hour and not always having the time to, do, to build a formula with all individual herbs and rather employing 
uh, ready-made formulas in granules that I can then combine. So the, the drawback in doing what I sometimes do is that even though it's a shortcut in terms of clinical flow, certain herbs will get overemphasized. So in combining Da Chai Hutong and Gui Fuling Wan as ready-made formulas, I, I think, okay, Da Chai Hutong is significantly bigger. So I employed it at 60 grams Da Chai Hutong and 40 grams Gui Fuling Wan, mm-hmm. which is just a, a really rough estimate of you know, giving a little bit more emphasis on the larger formula so that the in, the dosages of individual herbs might end up making sense. But because both formulas do contain Baishao, Baishao was like a little bit extra emphasized, which to me was not, was not a big problem. It wasn't going to make me not make the formula at that point and make it at home and send it to the patient or anything like that. I, I accept that level of imperfection. So I, I simply mixed Da Chai Hutong as a ready-made granule at 60 grams with Guajir Fooling one at 40 grams and considered that it was likely going to be close enough to original dosages of individual herbs to be a, a good ratio. Or, you know, given time, infinite time, infinite resources, or if I had interns in clinic who could build my formulas for me, <laughs> then I would write out the formula as if it were raw with each individual dose of every herb being proportional and then convert that to 100 grams that would take a little bit more time, but would be a little more precise in terms of, of er, single herb dosing. Right. Which we did. My herbs uh, supervisor in school was also trained by Arno. And uh-huh. we did the breakdown of all of it. Well, of course, I think most, a lot of times in school, you have that kind of time because they give it to you. <laughs> yeah. <Right>? yeah. <laughs> and, and it does make sense. And there is, I think there is overall an advantage to that. Did you follow up with this patient? Yes. Yeah, so at this patient, after the initial two weeks, and then she has been on this formula for quite a while. So one concern a lot of students have or beginner practitioners is that maybe st- patients can't stay on particular formulas for too long. And in particular, Da Huang stands out as that herb that, oh, maybe we can't give Da Huang to a patient for more than, you know, a few weeks or something like that. And I would say in the context of it, we certainly couldn't keep a patient on that long term. Mm-hmm. And in the context of Da Chai Hutong, I think it's very, very safe if the patient kind of constitutionally fits and the symptom pattern still fits the formula presentation for Da Chai Hutong then I think it can be taken for, for months as long as it seems relevant in terms of symptoms. So this patient has taken the formula for quite a while. There are times when she got busier and didn't kind of follow up and, and come back in. So she's gone without the refill and then would start to kind of backslide and feel worse again and then come back in. But she's done, I would say, really well with this combination of herbs. There have been very minor modifications to the formula as things have shifted a little bit. But after the, even the first two weeks, so we gave initially two bottles of the formula to this patient, and she reported that her, her bowels were evacuating more and more easily. She was a lot more comfortable in her upper abdomen. The next menstrual cycle that followed our initial visit was a lot lighter with less cramping. So the, the typically two days where she had very heavy bleeding it was more normal by her standards of, of what bleeding should have been. She would experience a lot less nausea and heartburn other than when she ate really a kind of offensive foods, foods that she knew would trigger her. Mm-hmm. Less bloating overall. The belching persisted, but she didn't feel like that was a problem. She thought it helped really relieve tension that she would feel in her chest. So that's what prompted adding Chen P in the next iteration of the formula, that the belching was there, but also helped relieve tension, showing there's kind of a chi stagnation that, that Chen P would help. And the patient even had less desire for iced beverages, was less bothered by the heat, and her nausea in the mornings had dissipated, and she found it easier to eat a reasonable breakfast. So all of that from, from two weeks worth of herbs, where realistically, the diagnosis was kind of there within, again, three to five minutes. There was a high confidence because she matched this formula presentation so well. You know what I like about this? I guess maybe that I'm sitting in a very different position as a beginner. I would have probably just done the Dai Chai Hutong first mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. and see like to see what happened there. That's just a very beginner mind, right? Like one formula at a time type thinking and not really having the breath to know exactly how to combine formulas. <laughs> so I, w- I probably would have just started with the one formula to see how that went and then moved on to you know, obviously going into the Guajir Fuling one. But that's just be- beginner mind. 
Yeah, well, beginner mind or scientific mind, because it also eliminates a variable and you get much clearer feedback. You know, the less herbs you give, the less acupuncture points you use, the clearer the feedback is for what you've done. I think it would have been a very logical thing. It would have absolutely fit the, the majority of her pattern. I think because I've seen Da Chai Utang and Gui Zhu Fuling Wan combined so many times in clinic with Dr. Huang and with Feng Shir Lun and Suzanne Robidou, et cetera, I almost feel as though the, the presentation for that combination is almost like a single formula. And I think that that comes with familiarity and with exposure to certain teachers and literature. And I do think that I, you know, in sending you the link that I'll find for the, the Journal of Chinese Medicine article on Da Chai Tang and Gui Zhu Fuling Wan, I think that you might start to see them as a, a single entity as well in certain cases. And some of your listeners might as well. For sure. And I'm sure a lot of them already did. But it's like you said, it's just experience and having seen these things before. And you're like, ah, oh, this is that presentation. Yes, yes. Yeah. But I, I do think this patient, had you given them Da Chai Hutong? would come back after two weeks with just really great uh, response and feedback about how they'd done just with the Dachai Hutong. Yeah, I think that would have helped. Obviously, it's not going to solve, you know, get you to the to the end game. But I always just learned, like, gosh, if you're if you're stuck, just start with one layer, you know, like, and usually just from the center. And with her, it's like, let's just clear the stagnation Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. and then move forward. So anyway, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Do you have anything else? to um, present about the case or are we full circle with that with that case i think we're full circle that's that's the the base formulas that this patient is doing well on even months later continues to do well when she doesn't take them she feels worse when she does take them she feels better which is a good indication it's still appropriate other than slight modifications like that like that chen p for belching i think it's really going to be consistent for her if you know, her aversion to heat goes away. She no longer wants ice water. She no longer likes the bitter taste. If there's dramatic changes like that, then we start to think about follow-up. And then we think, oh, maybe we've cleared enough of the yang conformation excess parameters of her condition that we can go into more strengthening, nourishing approach. And that's, I would say, kind of the layer approach that you just mentioned. You know, you first start with a single layer and try to eliminate that. And it's kind of working your way from from the yang conformations to the yin conformations is what we would see in the long term with a patient like this. Where would you go after that? It depends on her presentation, I, obviously. Yeah, but. it depends on the presentation. But what I could see happening is, you know, the da chai Tong and gui zhi fuling one both treat kind of this, this Xiaoyang constraint with the yang ming stagnation as well and, and yang ming heat and this tendency towards blood stasis. And some of the parameters are like difficult stools, dry, difficult stools. Mm-hmm. And if the stools really normalized or even went in the opposite direction where they were looser, then we would mm-hmm. think from a blood stasis perspective, maybe Dang Gui Shayasan comes into play instead of Gui fooling one. And that tends to be a little bit more nourishing and strengthening. And we start to strengthen Tai Yin with a, a Baiju Fuling approach and, and deal with dampness with the Baiju Fuling Zhe but also nourish blood a little more strongly with Dang Gui Bai Shao instead of just Bai Shao which is in the, the Guajir fooling one. So that's something I would keep in mind. It's like an idea of where the case could go. Uh, in, in a lot of cases, we, you know, we don't always end up with just one sense that this is the one formula that's good for this patient. We end up with a few ideas like, oh, it could be any one of these three. And then in note-taking to, to, to write those down as considerations could be really helpful for us to reorient with the case. If things didn't go as we had hoped, or if things seem to, you know, one layer has resolved and what's next. And having had those other considerations evident for us to remember, I think could be really helpful. Yeah. All right. Any final last words for the listeners before we shut this down? Well, I I hope that this kind of engagement, thinking about a case all the way through, and in particular, thinking about it through a way that's different than the typical way we learn in our MSTCM, rather than going from signs and symptoms and collecting them all, and then converting that that data, that information into a pattern diagnosis, and then thinking about what herbs or formulas match with that pattern diagnosis. This is a different clinical flow where a few key characteristics immediately bring to mind certain herbs or certain formulas, and then you ask the questions that confirm or deny that hunch. To me, that's been really a, a powerful clinical tool, and very often the first hunch ends up being 
really useful and and sustains kind of the the further questioning. It gets validated rather than invalidated. So that idea of kind of formula presentation and of being able to match herbs and formulas directly to observable signs and symptoms, and then do the work of confirming or denying. I found that immensely useful clinically in my own practice, and I try to introduce that to my students alongside the more textbook approach of uh, signs and symptoms leading to diagnosis, leading to treatment strategy, leading to formulas. Yeah, I think I think the more help, the better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a it's a different lens of what clinical flow could look like. Yeah, for sure, for sure, because some of it's going to speak more loudly to some of us than others, and we we learned in one lane in school. So I think it's super helpful to have another perspective or multiple perspectives of how to go about getting the best formula for the best diagnosis or the best diagnosis for the best formula. So thank you so much for being on the show. To the listeners, if you guys, if this is something that you want more of, you need to let me know. You can do that by sending me a DM on Instagram at AccuSprout, or you can email me at hello at AccuSprout.com. I would love to have Phil on regularly to do more case studies. That would be epic. Thank you so much for being on the show, Phil. I really appreciate your time. Very much my pleasure. Thank you so much, Stacey. I look forward to talking to you again. That's it. That's the show for today. Hey, thanks for listening. If you guys go over and you check out the DAOM program at ACCHS, let them know that you heard about it here. I would totally appreciate that. I'm looking for sponsorship to pay for the podcast because I can't fund it forever. So I'd appreciate your help in that way if you decide that applying to the DAOM program is something that you're interested in. And I honestly highly suggest it. It looks like it's my favorite currently. Uh, be sure to let them know. And then they may be inclined to produce a whole bunch of uh, herbal case review podcasts with me. All right. Take care. Thanks, you guys. That's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. And if you appreciate this podcast, it would be amazing if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then that's okay. No worries. Just skip it. <laughs>